0: Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society.
1: The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. Hi, I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire.
0: And I'm Charles Epting of HR Harmer in New York City.
1: And this is Conversations with Philatelists.
0: Our guest today, don't um, make sure I'm right here, is not a stamp collector.
1: Nope.
0: And is somebody who most people involved in the hobby um, uh, may have never even heard of, this is, this is somebody who, who is, is very important in the world of the mail, mm-hmm. um, but isn't a, tr- a conventional collector. We've spoken to some great collectors, some great exhibitors, writers, but today's guest, why don't you explain, is again somebody who exists outside of that world, but also is essential to that world.
1: Right. So today we're talking to Jenny Lynch. She's the historian for the U.S. Postal Service in charge of keeping the library intact, their archives, helping people with any research that they might need for books. I'm sure or they get inundated
0: with questions from people. I'm sure that's uh, that's got to be interesting. This also just sounds like a dream job to me. It sounds yeah. like if you asked me like, hey, Charles, you can be any any anything you want when you grow up. I feel like historian for the u.s postal service is like right.
1: too good to be true right it, well it's almost like what all of us are doing already kind of
0: exactly. but she gets to do it like full-time <laughs> she gets right. to help other people do it it's yeah. like it's like it's like saying you want to be like a, a baseball playing astronaut or something it's just like too good to be true historian yeah. for the usps i don't know i love this I, I love that this role exists and i want this job someday
1: yeah um
0: Maybe, maybe we can look at this maybe. as like a low-key interview for us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I'm excited. I I don't, I don't think a lot of people will even know that I didn't – up until a little while ago, I didn't even know this was a position at the USPS, that they were maintaining their – obviously that they were maintaining their records. But that there was someone in charge of passing their records off to other people who are looking for background information on the USPS. <laughs>
0: And, and the fact that there's this this library, I want to hear more about too, because mm-hmm. I, I, I've been to the Library of Congress for research. I've been to the Department of the Interior. I, mean, I feel like Washington D.C. has all of these great libraries that are like a public resource. Like this is, this sounds so cliche. But like this is what our tax dollars are going to, and we just don't use them enough. So I want to hear yeah. more about this library and whether or not I will be able to go do research uh, someday. Because I would I would.
1: I just think that would be so cool to be in the, the post office right. headquarters. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of philatelic publications have been, have been aided or if not entirely created from that library that they aided or abetted. <laughs> yes.
0: What do you say we bring Jenny on? I'm really excited for this one.
1: Yeah. Sounds great. Hi, there. Hi. Hi. I really appreciate you. Um, meeting with us, coming out and to, to, to talk to us about, um, about what it is you do. So can we, can we start off kind of just there, and can you briefly explain what it is you do for the USPS?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm the historian. I work at headquarters, also manager of the library there. We have a library at headquarters. So as a historian, um, and I have a staff of three, we research and respond to requests for information. We get requests from postal employees and also the general public. Um, there's actually a link on our website, contact the historian. So, also get questions about missing packages and <laughs> delayed delivery, <laughs> which I try to forward as appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we also preserve records, we provide access to records, publications, we have a photograph collection, artifact collection. Um, we work with the National Postal Museum um, on occasion, collaborate
0: is there a, a most common type of question that you receive when somebody clicks to ask the historian, is yes. it, you know, my, my, my so-and-so was a postmaster in a small town. I want more information. Or is it about the town they live in? What, what sort of uh request are you feeling? What do you think people are most interested in learning when they reach out to you? We
2: get, we get a range of questions and from a lot of, from genealogists like researching family history, we get questions from university professors where they're researching a particular aspect of history, looking for guidance on, on where to look and what's available. Um, sometimes questions are, are like trend. So the last year or so, a trending question has been people trying to locate post offices, like or where a post office was in like the 1800s. Um, also locating old rural route addresses. They might have found a piece of mail that said Rural Route 3, box two, and now there is no such address. They want to know how, what does that correlate in today's world, um, which we don't always have answers, but we can <laughs> let them know if there is an answer, hopefully what it is or where to find it.
1: That's fantastic. And what, what got you started in this? What, what um,
2: so, piqued it was your interest? <laughs> it was okay. a, when I was in college, uh, I, inter- I I heard they hired temporary workers at postal headquarters, and interviewed and just happened to be interviewed by the first historian, and this was back in 19 late 80s, um, and Rita Marone was her name, so I was hired just for the summer. Um, the first summer, I spent labeling files, just hiding the historical <laughs> files, removing staples, um, but I guess I did a good job, so I worked, they asked for me back the next summer, um, and then when I, in college, I actually studied um, Russian area studies, not well, there is no real degree in cultural history anyway, but um, after college, I went back and worked and uh, have, I've done a few other jobs, but pretty much have been there since. Um, and it, so it was sort of on the job training. The longer I, you know, the more I was there, the, the more familiar I became with the records, um, what information was available, where to find it. Um, and then my duties grew over time. I've been historian since 2012 is when I was promoted.
1: Yeah. Well. So the, the artifacts that you keep there, uh, are are you constantly, you work with the, the Postal Museum, are you constantly purchasing more artifacts or did you start with like a bunch and now you're...
2: So we started with some, we don't purchase any. Um, it's when a postal employees, and we call it the field, out in post offices nationwide, when they find something uh, in their basement or, or maybe a, they're moving, relocating, um, or they just an old, obsolete piece of equipment that's older, and they don't know what to do with it. They're supposed to contact the historian and ask for guidance. So some sometimes they'll find rare items. I have a wish list or an older wish list from the Postal Museum. So if it's something I know they're looking for, I'll send it their way. Um, hmm. And some things we'll retain um, for our smaller collection, uh, and some things you know aren't worth keeping. But so.
1: So I, I got to imagine there's some sort of crossover there between what your artifacts are and what philatelists collect. I mean, it's it's got to be a pretty large crossover, actually. Do you do you have uh, postal history covers and and everything as well, or is it mostly um...
2: mostly you know older equipment like okay. mailboxes? A lot of what's found now are old records. So accounting records from like the late 1800s um, on up through the early 1900s, um, you know, they don't know what to do with. Uh, so we have some of those to just have samples. Um, they were finding a lot. One, again, with it seems like things tend to trend. So in the last couple of years, uh, one category of item found um, that puzzles, like Postmasters, when they find it is um, old, um, there were like dur- during the Cold War era, in this. You know, with civil defense, there were notification cards, boxes that were given to every post office. So in the event of an emergency, people could um, notify loved ones, you know, they were okay where they were. And so stamped on these, these boxes are like wrapped in twine and it's, it says, do not destroy, you know, keep. And then the <laughs> postmaster's like, can of, what do I do? Um, we have, you know, we have some in our collection, but, uh, that's one category of items. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: And do you trade off those artifacts to the, the museum after a certain point of time? Or?
2: Um, it's, it's more upfront. If I'm emailed about something that's unusual, I'll just immediately email a, one of the curators over there and find out um, if they want it or not. Um, and then depending on if they want it or not, you know, do we want it or not? And then, it, you know, as soon as I can, advise the person out in the field what to do.
1: And what happens if neither of you want it?
2: So if neither of us wants it, it, depending on what it is, some items can be donated locally, mm-hmm. to like a, a local historical society or archive or library. Some items are supposed to. Some are sold. There's a, the Postal Service auctions off. I think it's govdeals.com where you will find like old scales and some old equipment that's still serviceable but not in use today.
0: hmm Okay. You said you interviewed with the first post, uh, the first USPS historian. Right. How long has this office existed? When did the post office start? Um, you know, again, when did they create this role? To, um, oh, uh, so.
2: yeah, Rita Maroni. She was the first, and she started as a speechwriter in the Postmaster General's office. Is really well, or at least that's where she had been before being a historian. I'm not sure where she actually started. Um, so I think it was in the 70s.
0: So it's Where, a fairly modern development for the post office to yes, preserve yeah. and uh, you know provide this resource.
2: Well, not necessarily preserve, because there has been a library, um, you know, decades earlier that I think that officially um, became sort of the modern library in the 1950s, but you know it was actually established earlier and for a while was managed by the inspection service. So we'll find in our files, um, you know, they were responding to inquiries back then and it'll be signed sometimes, you know, chief inspector <laughs> or, or for a while, um, there was a librarian and, sh- and she was doing, you know, researching and responding. So elements of the job, you know, we've, have been around, but. there so was Marvel- more
0: just formalized and uh, mm-hmm. streamlined in a more, more right. modern
2: era. Right, and it's still evolving. Um, when I started, there was a, the historian was, um, you know, one function and then the library had a full staff and you know a head librarian and then that merged as we've you know streamlined um, over time <laughs> <Well, laughs> to save money.
0: When you talk about the library I've been to the Department of the Interior's library which is open to the public mm-hmm. is the USPS library open to the public under normal non 2020 yeah. circumstances?
2: It is. I mean it's even open but you know you need an appointment. Um just getting access to the building is because of the security um, protocols is a little bit, you know, you have to sign in and and go through the screening, Um, but it is a public resource, it's open. And even now, you know, I'm going in, I'm teleworking mostly, most of us are. are. Um, I go in one day, usually Wednesdays, um, and two of my colleagues go in in, on different days. So that, um, you know, I have helped a couple of researchers recently. So it just made arrangements ahead of time.
0: But this is something where if you're com- if you're going to be in Washington DC and you want to research X, Y, and Z, it's uh, it's worth yeah. reaching out to see you to see if it's worth an in-person visit. It sounds like
2: exactly, and it's worth contacting us ahead of time um, so you don't waste a trip if you're looking mm. for something in the collection that we just don't have or you know it's not our strength.
1: What uh, that's a great segue. What is your what is the library's <laughs> strength? Um well,
2: it, it's. A- it depends on what you're interested in because postal history is vast. Um, mm-hmm. so, is it,
1: it town cancels or is it is it mostly roots and?
2: Uh... No, um, so okay. This month, when a researcher visited, he was looking specifically for records, and this is very particular. But a, a letter, so collection boxes, letter boxes at the time, you know, the, the post mounted type that used to predominate. We have in the library um, a record called the Miscellaneous Orders of the Postmaster General from like 1906 to I think in like the 1960s. And in his period of interest, which was the 1920s, you can actually go through and it's, you know, it's bound, it's onion skin, but it's records of contracts. He was researching a particular manufacturer um, and trying to document its history. So, so we had that for him. <laughs> Uh, we have the library's vertical files with just miscellaneous um, information on different topics that was of interest historically. That where they retained information. A lot, most original postal records have been given to the National Archives. So mm. often that's where we point people. Um, and the great thing there is some of those records, you know, they're digitizing, and putting online. So um, yeah. which is great for researchers.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask if you guys were uh, digitizing the the USPS library.
2: Um, we, we, we're starting to think about, um, prioritizing and, and going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so far we haven't, we have partnered with, um, if you're familiar with the Postal Bulletin Consortium that digitized and they put the, the Postal Bulletin's online. Um, that's a great resource for researchers. That's an
0: incredible archive. It for, is. Yeah. It's like policy.
2: I use, <laughs> I think I'm one of the heaviest users, <laughs> um, I was told, uh, but, yeah, so we have that on microfilm. We lent it so they could digitize that. And I think they also are working on the postal guides, getting those digitized and online. I'm not sure where that stands, but uh, but we do hope to do, do some of that in the future. Yeah.
0: I, I, I feel like the, the basics of the USPS or the Post Office Department's history, everyone knows that Ben Franklin was the first postmaster. Everybody, there's, you know, again, and a lot of people know vaguely how, uh, stamps in the mail have played into our history on a a large scale. Is there anything you've uncovered? Maybe it was helping somebody with a research project. Maybe it was just, um, you know, uh, looking through things on your own. Is there anything you've found that has surprised you that maybe made you think about the post office in a way that you didn't think about it before? It's a lot of people think, all right, the post office, just carries mail. That's what it, you know, it's pretty cut and dry what it does. Is there anything you've uncovered that, um, again, maybe made you look at the post office department's role in American history in a different way?
2: Um, I mean, as I've, I've had the opportunity to learn, you know, about different topics, um, I didn't know before, uh, about the postal services role and really the development of transportation, you know, in Congress, um, through the postal service subsidizing age code lines, um, airmail is a, is a big example. Also, the role that the diversity of the workforce had in just giving opportunities to you know African American workers early on, and then the ripple effect that had, you know, with a, a steady job with good pay um, in elevating communities. Um, it's kind of the
0: great equalizer in a way, the post office.
2: Right. And I was surprised too to learn along the lines too of the diverse workforce, um, the role of women in the postal service early on. I mean, even from 1775 with the woman postmaster Baltimore. Um, it was pretty impressive to me.
1: Another thing I kind of wanted to, to branch out into a larger, um, kind of what you covered. A second ago, but into a larger scape question was uh, asking you about the major pivotal moments in the organization of the USPS that you recognized as kind of not directional changing, of course, because I understand that their direction has always been deliver the mail, but, uh, but kind of pivotal moments that changed the way that the USPS operated.
2: Well, the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970 uh, was was a big one, giving us some more independence from Congress, um, taking polit- politics out of it, out of the at least the appointment of postmasters, rural carriers, and and the pay pay of employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at least from a customer's perspective, you know, the the introduction of new services. the free delivery of mail in cities and then in the rural areas, that was a big change. In mm-hmm. um, rural free delivery in particular, uh, you know, it was just a pretty quick, vast expansion of the postal workforce. Um, so
0: that's, that's something that was, I don't want to say lost on me, but I didn't fully grasp until I found out they issued a postage stamp, not all that long ago for RFD. Mm-hmm. and I got to thinking, why would they issue it? Again, you see plenty of covers from back in the day that have RFD written on them, mm-hmm. um, but when I realized that this was monumental enough for the post office to commemorate it on a stamp for, I want to say, the centennial or, or, or some yeah. anniversary, yeah. Right. Um, the, the fact that, that, again, that really got me rethinking about just how important rural free delivery again to us today where you get your mail in a box yeah um (laughs) it's it's crazy to think about that being a big breakthrough that they would actually bring the mail to you Mm -hmm. right but then you put yourself in that time and place and it's like yeah, must have been revolutionary
2: that was life-changing suddenly you had someone visiting every day at least down by the mailbox and before you were getting your mail when you you know went to fetch it um so that was that was a big change for both customers and uh, the postal service, because I I'm thinking it was like tens of thousands of carriers that were hired, like within the first few years. It mm-hmm. was huge.
1: Yeah, there's uh, still countries that operate that like that, that have one major post office. I think, um, was it, uh, is it Ecuador that has one post office and, uh, people have to, they don't have street addresses. They have to go to the post office. Mm-hmm. It, I'm pretty sure it's Ecuador. My friend lived there for a while, and I remember trying to mail her a package, and she said, "This is my PO box." I said, "That's great, you got a PO box." She said, "No, I I have to get this PO box in order to get mail Mm because they don't have, they can't bring my mail to me." Yeah,
2: yeah. And then, well, and correlated with rural free delivery, 1913 parcel post. I mean, that was a big again for both customers and carriers because Mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, the limit had been four pounds. And suddenly it was, I think, 11 pounds, and then pretty soon uh, up to 70 pounds, um, just packages that could be delivered and brought you know, to you. Um, and that, that put a lot of merchandise within reach of Americans that hadn't been previously. Right.
0: I feel like that gets overshadowed by the stamps, which are beautiful stamps and collectible and, and fun to look at. But I feel like there's so much focus on the stamps, which were very short-lived, mm-hmm. that people don't realize the societal impacts of parcel post as a service. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess special delivery is kind of similar to everyone knows the motorcycle on the stamps or the, the running special delivery messenger. But uh, again, when you just look at the stamps and when you get so hung up on the stamps, like I'm guilty of, you don't realize how, how big these things were mailing a parcel Mm -hmm. or being able to send something special delivery and and have it get there so much quicker. Um, Again, it's kind of like, I don't know. In a way, the advent of email I think it's on a similar magnitude at least in yeah. my opinion
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I I agree and some of these things I, I you know I I'm keep going back to the Pony Express but they they were you know short-lived in a in a way but did make such a um massive impact on the on the the times and the they weren't that vast you, you just a year or something for for the Pony Express in particular but um
2: Maybe it was but, yeah, symb- I mean, symbolic almost, mm-hmm. um, just the connection and that it was at least possible, even if most people didn't use it, we couldn't afford to use it, um, that it was possible to reach. To-
1: yeah. I wonder if philatelists almost, uh, in, a, in a way, helped keep the memory of those things alive in addition to USPS historians or, or librarians, anything like that, keep the memory of the events that happened Alive in addition to the fact that the USPS was so set on um, commemorating the successes of, of modern postal progress.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, stamps are little little monuments to, you know, achievements of, in all different realms.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the USPS has a long history of tailoring some of their stamps specifically for... Collectors, uh, do you? This seems like a strange question, but do you know when that started? Really, when um, the first kind of stamp that was issued, almost to appeal to collectors on a general level.
2: I, I mean, with the we consider you know the eighteen nineties, the Colombian exhibition, exhibition mm-hmm. stamps as the first commemorative, so. Yeah. Maybe That's, we
0: could go with that. Have you found I mean I, I, at least from my understanding of the history of stamp collecting, it, it started off as I want one of each in my album. and then um, as it evolved, maybe you want a mint one and a used one or a block. but but this idea of of the stories of the envelopes, how you know how it was transported, uh, what route did it take what what method you know was it uh, carried by airmail or ship, do you find stamp collectors are more? open to learning about the history of the post office they're more open to learning about you know the dates a post office was in operation do you think they're in again if you could generalize are stamp collectors taking a bigger picture approach now than, than maybe they were in the past and using your resources again to help tell the you know they're not taking a cover and soaking the stamp off and sticking it in an album i'm sure they want to know more about the addressee or the the post office that originated from do you think there's more crossover maybe between what you do and the APS does than in past generations
2: my impression currently is uh, we get some questions from collectors um but not not a lot I feel like in my experience the, the collectors I'm familiar with are almost more expert um so sometimes I'll be going to them with questions <laughs> um, when I'm really stumped on an abstract, uh, you know, detail, um, because I found that, yeah, collectors do sometimes specialize in, you know, just researching all the details of their, of their cover, and they'll get way deeper into it than, um, than I'm usually, uh, would be helpful in responding to, although I'm happy to try. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's kind of cool that you're using the the experts of philately as a resource as a um, you,
2: there's a there's a board like, <laughs> a philatelic um like a online message board where mm-hmm. like, yeah, every once in a while I'll post a question that has stumped me.
0: Is that Richard Ferdrola's board? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if if I have a question, that's the first place I go to. That's yeah. the
2: and I, it's fun. Uh, yeah. I don't have time to look often, um, but when I do and I see, you know, what they, what tangents they're going off into, um, it's pretty impressive.
0: That's, I feel that's like incredible. A, I feel like a lot of Americans though, even if they're not stamp collectors or nobody in the field, I feel like everybody has a connection to the U.S. Postal Service. I feel like everybody I talk to has a grandparent who was a postmaster or a parent who was a letter carrier. I feel like even if we don't realize it, even if it's like subconscious, everyone has some tangible connection to mm-hmm. the post office. So I'd imagine you know, you'd say you don't get too many requests from collectors. I'm sure there's just a bunch of people who want to know about their family or their street or what, again, yeah. whenever I tell people I'm a stamp collector, everyone's got their, their thing that they're really excited yeah. to to talk about. Uh-huh. And I would imagine that, that that's a lot of it as well It's just, you know, again, everyone sends mail, everybody receives mail. Mm-hmm. But I feel like everybody also has that little anecdote that goes one step further. I would say,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, we do get we do get quite a few questions from genealogists, people and just researching more immediate history.
1: So, what would you say is your? Do you guys set trajectories or goals for your, yourself as historians? Or are you there to <laughs> simply uh, um, keep keep what you have and and? Maintain it in the best way possible. Would what would you say the the plan going forward for if you're allowed to? um
2: Yeah, I mean, just talking about my job. Yeah, I have a long. I won't call it a to do list because that would be too ambitious, but like a wish list of just projects and a lot of mainly it's centering around um, content to develop for our. We have web pages on our about.usps.com postal history web pages. Um, so a lot of topics that haven't been covered yet that we get questions on, um, that would just be useful. It's always great to put something online where if we get that question, we can just send them a link Here's, here's a paper, <laughs> you know, rather than answering, answering, um, over and over. Uh, so a lot of, um, development there, I hope, um, you know, that we'll have time to do because there is a lot to do other than that. That's my favorite thing to do, but there's, um you know, just researching and responding to questions takes up a big chunk and then just administrative stuff. Takes up yeah. All
1: right. So are you um, proactive in that as well? Actively teaching people or do, do you ever go to or when we could go to schools and teach uh, lessons on the postal history?
2: We haven't done that. Um, and it's a resource for us. It's a question of resources. Mm-hmm. We're just stretched too thin. Um, this summer we did and I, I shared with you that link yeah. recorded presentation for that college class and in a funny way we couldn't have done that except for the pandemic <laughs> we couldn't have <laughs> flown to you know that was in Tennessee um, but being able to do it virtually enabled us to do it um, so yeah for us sharing the history is more putting the information on our website um, we have a you know a book on the the publication 100, we call it uh, a book on the history of the Postal Service, new edition this year. Um, that's on our website free, you know, and then uh, of course there, we have plans to, for sort of better managing and um, making our collections more accessible. Mm-hmm. So there's, okay. yeah, we got, so we got two years ago, like, um, I like 11,000 photographs <laughs> from mm-hmm. New York city when they, um, we're emptying out some from the, the Farley building in New York. City. Um, and uh, just sort of getting that assimilated and uh, protected is you know, that'll be a big job. So.
1: so would those be accessible through the Postal museum or is that something that you put in your library or a separate building?
2: Sort of yes and yes. <laughs> because in that case, um, the Postal Museum—they um, took the took them first and digitized them, and then gave us the hard copies and copies of and digital copies. So, having them accessible is the is the hard part. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think for both of us, um, for the museum and us, at this point, um, because we have the images but not the metadata like associated with it or no catalog records, so finding them is um, is the tricky part. Mm-hmm.
1: So, what would you say, kind of speaking on that topic a little? What would you say was the most interesting piece that you got in? The the piece that you personally thought was the most interesting uh, of,
2: of the from those photographs, or? or
1: no, in in general that that's in the uh, since your time as mm-hmm. postal historian, mm-hmm. item that you got in from. A uh, retired postmaster, or someone who found something in their basement, or any item like that.
2: Um. W- well, one that stands out the most for me is because of the size, um, and it was right after I was I got the job, was promoted to historian. Um, I was I received from Nevada a, a barrel of water, like in a, a civil defense size drum full of water. Um, that was found in a basement that had been a fallout shelter stocked um, during the Cold War. Um, and it was sent full, so I couldn't move it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My husband, at the time we were dating, um, he uh, came in to work with me and helped me, um, you know, maneuver it. Uh, but that stands out. Um, yeah. And that's a, and that's something I hadn't known about until just this summer. Um, we've researched and put a paper on our website on the role the Postal Service played in civil defense, um, uh, you know, in the, in the
1: 50s and 60s. Does that happen often where you get an item in and you haven't published anything on it or, or written anything on the item that you've gotten in to, to teach people about these items are, that are coming in yeah,
2: and then yeah, you have to research um, it? And... Yes. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll be sent a picture of something and we don't know what it is. Hmm. So it's a matter of, it's just like some of the questions we get. Sometimes we don't understand even the question. We research to <laughs> learn <laughs> what is this person wanting to know? And then before we can help find the answer. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: so, yeah.
0: You mentioned earlier that the NPM has a, a wish list. Is there anything on your personal wish list for the collections? Is there a piece of equipment or a record, a log book? Is there something where if you got an email, Hey, I found one of these in the, the basement of my, my post office, is there something that you, uh, you know, have your heart set on for the archives?
2: Just any in, in things that we don't have. So, you know, badges on the uniform, we have most of them, but, um, you know, there's an early one we don't, um, or even, you know, some of the uniform items we have a random collection. Uh, so it's always good to help fill in gaps. Um, Love to get an early. Uh, of course, it, when we get to really rare items, I'd be offering to the Postal Museum. But like one of the first letter boxes, um, for example, we have some po- of the post-mounted types, but not all. Um, love photographs uh, hmm. because pictures are just so informative, especially if you know if they're in uniform or obviously at a doing some postal work. Not so much when it's just the group of people posing on the, <laughs> you know, the steps of the building. We have a lot of those. Um, but they don't tell us too much about um, social
1: service. Yeah. Because I, I got to imagine that that you guys are are discovering history with these items as well. So, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty exciting. Can you can you tell us how many items are in the I wish. archives?
2: <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> um, um,
1: okay.
2: No, again, on that, you know, that to do slash wish list is, mm-hmm. uh, is doing an inventory. We don't have a complete inventory. Mm-hmm.
1: Is it a large room though?
2: Um, well, you're welcome to visit. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: this <laughs> is, this is making me
2: want to, uh, so in the library, we've created a, a storage space for some artifacts and it's, it's not too vast. Um, and I'm horrible at telling you it's larger than a closet, smaller than my kitchen. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, we have also storage space, um, in Maryland at a, at a post office. Um, it'd be nice. Again, I have a long, a long wish list of, of, of hope to do, um, mm-hmm. getting the artifacts closer and also going through, because we did inherit a large collection of just whatever. And some of them aren't really worth keeping. Um, it would be great to go through and weed and consolidate and, and protect better. And um, hopefully that'll be down the road.
0: Are you acquiring things now for the archive that are contemporary Are there, you know, when, when the post office puts out a bulletin now, does a copy of it go into the collection? You know, obviously it's great to find things from the 1870s or whatnot, but is there a focus as well on contemporaneous Uh, You know, the the mailings that the post office sends out, does one of those go into the archive?
2: It's a great question. (laughs) And I try. Um, We don't, we're not on an automatic distribution list for everything um, that's put out. I try to save as I can and, you know, capture what we can. Um, But, you know, it's imperfect. We just do our best.
0: It must be tough to stay on top of. Yes. (laughs) When I get stuff in the mail, I try and make a little pile of this is I from mean, the post office telling me to right. mail early for the holidays or whatnot. And I love keeping those as a record, but I would imagine that trying to um, just keep track right. of what even is being produced is a yeah. Herculean task. Yeah.
2: And I, you know, we're not even aware, you know, we're at headquarters in the historians' office and library, not even aware of all that's produced. Um <laughs> but well because we're so big. Yeah. There's so many yeah. functions. Um yeah. in, in so many different places. Um you know sometimes we'll get material when people at headquarters retire and they'll just bring up a box <laughs> 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 um, but then i you know i'll try to save things if it's some internal communications especially like this past year which is you know been so wild um i'm, I'm saving and, and then and and we, i do like paper you know we have paper files um so i'm saving and printing out as i can and then just creating files because 10 years from now, people are going to want to uh,
0: review. We, uh, and, 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 an email could easily be you know, everyone who receives it could delete it easily. Right. But when you have a physical uh, cop, we, we sort of take for granted what's here now, you know, we're, we're all, you know, I don't want to say we're all spending our time trying to figure out what was going on in 1885 mm-hmm. without realizing what's going on in 2020. I would imagine. Yeah. So
2: I, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, we're in, it is funny I, it's almost if we get a question about, you know, an employee from the 1860s, it's it's way easier to answer than from the 1960s. <laughs> 1860s, I can look in the official register, you know, every odd numbered year and I can see who was where and how much they got paid. Um, and then more modern times, it's um, it can be hit or miss. Um, and totally. yeah, e- email and then things going digital. Um, it definitely concerns me.
0: I've noticed a similar trend in stamp collecting where if you have a cover from the eighteen sixties, they can tell you what sailing of what vessel it was on and what day it arrived in mm-hmm. London and Liverpool. And then I noticed a lot of these classic postal historians are now turning to the sixties, seventies and eighties and just scratching their heads and saying, What was going on? Why why did this cost a dollar twelve to send? and it's funny how much easier it is to, to do the old, I I think there's a lot of parallels there that, um, yeah, the 19th century, we've got pretty well covered.
2: And for (laughs) for postal employees, the cutoff date is really 1911. That was, um, (laughs) 1911 and prior. Um, we have, we have good chance we'd have a record, but, um, (laughs) well, I'm
1: glad that, uh, finally turned that around and we're keeping good records of what's going on now yeah because it's in 100 years
2: yeah and just even even the format like our communications format now with email you know tends to be so less informative than letters Hmm. where you had to it just took more effort so i think people thought about it more
0: yeah fascinating to think about the difference in In again, accumulating material from 150 years ago versus 10 minutes ago, (laughs) but it but it but it all deserves to be preserved. It all tell it's all a a different puzzle piece in the same story. I would say, and you know, I didn't think about it until this conversation that that what goes on every year is just as uh, worthy of preservation as Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what happened before any of us were born.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I see. People on on modern Facebook pages trying to collect stuff that's going on right now, and they're having a hard time even finding it. And it just got issued two weeks ago, three okay. weeks ago. They can't even find the stuff. But you know, if I want to buy a stamp from eighteen sixty, just go on Anywhere. eBay. But they can't even they can't even find uh, <clears throat> things that are being currently issued. It's just because people are yeah they're throwing it away or they're not keeping good records. Yeah. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for. Uh, for joining us, Charles. If you do, you have any other? No, I, well, I,
0: I just wanted to say how excited I am to come down to next time I'm in Washington yeah. to uh, to pay the library a visit in person. Yeah. I uh, again, I just I stumbled into the the DOI library once, and it made me realize that all of these departments probably have really cool libraries that are really <laughs> worthy of of spending time. in so next time Michael and I are down there, we'd love to yeah. to pay you a wow. visit in person.
2: Sure, yeah.
1: that'd be fantastic. Thank you so much for for doing this.
2: And, Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. No,
1: of course. course. No, we we really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. All right. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: There's a common theme I have with some of these interviews that we do where I just want to hop in the car. Like, I'll swing by New Hampshire to pick you up. Yeah. And then we just need to road trip to Washington, D.C. to go to the library. Yeah. Canada to go to Chris Green's shop. Uh, Pennsylvania to go to the American Philatelic Center. When we get off these interviews, I just I look around the office and I'm like, "Let's roll, let's get out of here." Like, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> uh, yeah. I really want to go to this library. I'm, I'm, I think, the, and and just to go to like the, the headquarters of the post office, I think would be, yeah. Like, to have to go through a metal detector to go to the postal library. I feel <laughs> so official and cool. Am I wrong?
1: No, no, no. I mean, absolutely. The fact that they're keeping those uh, those artifacts almost not. Literally, but almost under lock and key, you know, is is um, that's pretty exciting that they're that they're treating the history of the post office obviously as important as it is. They're treating it so seriously as they are.
0: I just picture the warehouse at the end of the first Indiana Jones, (laughs) and like all mailboxes, it's Mm -hmm. like really cool. I know it's probably not.
1: Well, I mean that that's probably her whole job. Is she gets an email about something and she just sends back the little clip of indiana jones saying it belongs in a museum exactly and that's what's what she does she you know gets the item and and it goes in their museum yeah i think that um i think that we got to go visit this though i'm
0: i'm really fascinated by this i thought i thought that was a fantastic interview Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that and uh and and this is fun that you set this one up and i you caught me off guard when you told me (laughs) we were gonna have i thought this was awesome i was like that's not a stamp collector yeah um but it shows just how how diverse our cast of guests has been and uh, I think we'll continue to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to all our, we said in our Christmas special last week, I'm looking forward to all our interviews to, to come. Yeah. And, and this kind of kicks off the.
0: As much fun as it is when we tell
1: people who's coming up next. We got that email from
0: Scott English last night where it said, looking forward to the yeah. mystery guest. And I like building up an air of mystery. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually typed a response out to him and I was going to tell him who the mystery guest was. And then I deleted it and I just
0: Gotta <laughs> yeah. keep This is like a surprise, you know. Like when, 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 like a big musician like, surprise drops an album. Yeah, that's like us.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. This was a fantastic interview, but I feel like this. I wanted them to almost be back to back, but the. Is the next? You mean this? This and the and the next one, the mystery, the person that we've been waiting five months to talk to. Yeah, but, but they're coming the week after. We haven't even spoken to them yet. Um, we're not talking to them until January 5th, um, and then it's the following. On the eleventh is when we're when we're releasing that episode. Um,
0: As always, Michael, you just keep texting me morning of when we're doing (laughs) one.
1: Yeah, see you in five. I (laughs)
0: had to change my lunch reservation today. Yeah, Um, I I, I thought this was great. This was a lot of fun. Um, I I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, For those watching on YouTube, you can catch us on all the podcast servers. That's Google, Spotify, all the regular podcasts. Michael, this has been really fun And I'll see you in 2021
1: Yeah, see you in 2021 And uh, looking forward to that full year Hopefully we'll get out to some Actual places to do actual Filming in actual locations Other than this
0: And at the very least, in a couple of weeks I'll be up in uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Don't tell Governor Cuomo <laughs> <laughs> If All he's right. listening to this Ben, that's our most famous listener. Right? That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. But I don't think he is. So I I feel okay telling We'll you. find out. We will find out if they stop <laughs> me at the border. I'll talk to you soon, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks, Michael.
1: All right. See you then.